Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. This week on Highways Voices, we hear from the leader of one of the world's top traffic companies about delivering what cities need. Out of those high-level critical topics, we derive 10 problem statements. 10 problem statements that we see that end-to-end solutions can help to solve. The new CEO of Swaco is our guest on Highways Voices, giving us a line to take on where our industry needs to deliver when it comes to forthcoming mobility challenges. Highways Voices, in association with partner organisations Elkrig, Adept, the Transport Technology Forum and ITS UK. Michael Shush to come on today's Highways Voices with a fascinating and in-depth interview. And we'll also, of course, get our news from our partners. And talking of news, while I was away on holiday, Adrian Tatum held the fort with all the stories on Highways highways-news.com and here are a couple that caught his eye. News from the highwaysnews.com website and newsletter this week, Paul, includes a story about national highways and the fact that it must provide high quality detailed plans for how it will operate, maintain and improve the strategic network between 2025 and 2030. This is according to its independent monitor, the Office of Rail and Road. OR considers this will reflect National Highways' increasing maturity as an arms-length government body, entering its third road period during this time. As development of the third road investment strategy moves a set closer, OR has this week set out how it's increasing the level of scrutiny it will apply to National Highways' plans during this time. This is recognition of higher expectations of the company to deliver efficiently. And also this week, approximately 97% of all homes and businesses in the UK are in areas where the amount of at least one toxic substance in the air is higher than international safety limits. This is according to a study by the Central Office of Public Interest. The research found that addresses in Kent, Bath, East Anglia and some coastal towns showed some of the UK's worst population, as did the UK's busy cities. The organisation has sourced and mapped pollution levels at at least 2,000 addresses across the UK, and also found 70% of British addresses reached all three World Health Organisation limits. The map produced by Copi and Imperial College London combined 20,000 measurements with computer modelling to produce population estimates every 20 metres across the country. On top of these, you can also read about misfortune for a police and crime commissioner, the jailing of a motorist who drove the wrong way through London's Blackwall Tunnel and somehow lived to tell the tale, and how low-traffic neighbourhoods are a key battleground in local election campaigning. Don't forget, we have our daily newsletter every day detailing the top stories in the highways and transport technology industries. We have our LinkedIn and Twitter updates too and our website where you can get news on demand at any time. Highways News really is the only place you need to go for everything you need to know. Well, when it comes to our industry news anyway. Swaco improves quality of life by making the travel experience safer, quicker, more convenient and environmentally sound. From software-as-a-service traffic management solutions to parking, VMS, EV charging and road marking too, find out how Swaco can deliver more efficient and safer traffic management. Swaco, the better way every day. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. Remember in my podcast from Intertraffic, we heard this. The way we approached it was really to think about what are the most critical topics 
for the cities that they need to address in the years to come or that they have already today. Well, that was the new Swaco CEO, Michael Shush, talking about a survey the company had carried out across 400 cities around the world into the challenges facing their mobility provision. Well, I wanted to find out more, so later at the event, I grabbed in for a longer chat for a Highways Voices, and we started by picking up on those lessons learned. So when we started basically designing our new modern mobility management system, the MyCity platform and the end-to-end solutions that we want to deliver or bring into the market, we started by interviewing more than 400 cities globally, actually. And what we learned was actually that the most critical topics that they have are throughout the same. It is about urbanization. It is about limited space that they have available. It is about cross-domain integration. And it is about connectivity that uh, they need to address and some other statements. And out of those high-level critical topics, we derive 10 problem statements. 10 problem statements that we see that end-to-end solutions can help to solve that. Problem statements like traffic congestions. You know that uh, in some cities, travel time increases by 25 up to 60% just because of travel congestions, which could result in 150 hours per year that you just sit in traffic in some cities, which is an unbelievable number. Then you have poor air quality. As as another example, 3.4 million people are supposed to die every year because of poor air quality or linked to poor air quality. Budget constraints that the cities are facing. Vulnerable road users, which is a big concern as well staying on top of innovation as another example or the lacking of interoperability so those are just a few of those problem statements and we were trying to design end-to-end solutions exactly addressing those problem statements and delivering solutions to the city to the citizens and the traveler at the same time i was having a conversation with a business owner who was concerned that they had a solution that that ticked both the road safety and the environmental box, but with local authorities that they were talking to, the person who had the budget for road safety didn't have a remit on environment. Somebody who had a remit on environment, road safety wasn't their issue. And so neither on their own had the budget to pay for the solution. But if the two of them got together, then they would have done and they would have both uh, achieved their goals. Is there a way that we can work with the budget holders and the authorities to have that more holistic view so that when they see this end-to-end solution, they work together to deliver it rather than have their own silos within with budgets within? Paul, I think you are addressing a very interesting uh, point, actually, which also needs a change on the public authority side on how they are splitting their budget or how they are allocating responsibility to their budget. In small terms, we already see that today in current tenders. And I give you an example. If there is a tender out for a motorway scheme and you provide highway signages, we are known for our energy-efficient LED signs, then the moment the tender is out, the most important criteria is the price. How cheap can you deliver the sign? And what is not accounted for is the energy consumption over the lifetime of this product. It doesn't matter if it's 
100 or if it's a 60% or if it's a 20% power consumption. It is not accounted for. The only thing that counts for is the initial price. How long it lasts, the quality of the product is not considered. So we are facing the same challenges over the last decades already. And that change in process to get corporate social responsibility implemented into tender requirements is a slow process. But we see already in some countries that there is a movement coming to put tender criteria in place that consider that as well. Our equipment that we produce, our solutions that we produce, that is out in the field for 20 plus years. And the budgets of cities are already restricted. So it's not about wiping out what's installed and installing a new solution. It's really about making sure that you have an upgrade path, that the products that you put out in the field are reliable for decades to come. Instead of replacing the whole infrastructure, you, you make sure that you maintain it, but you add additional functionality. And this extended producer responsibility is something that also needs to be added into public procurement tenders, making sure that an environmental sustainable element is becoming part of that public procurement. And then hopefully there is at some point when the first stone falls, maybe the other follow. You've clearly thought all this through and I know that Swarco's corporate social responsibility, it kind of cuts through everything that uh, you as a business do. You're right on that point as well. I think it is part of our DNA and also based on which countries we have our production facilities. So energy efficient production, carbon dioxide reducing measures in our production is at the, at the center, is at the heart of how we are acting and how our operational businesses are run. That is true for how we produce our products and solutions. This is true when operating our products and solutions. So we think about reduced energy consumption in the production process, whether it be glass beads, so paint, or our LED-based uh, signaling products. And this is equally true also when we think about the lifetime, the operations of our products. And then at the end of the day, of course, the, the impact that the solutions have when they are operated in the field, the implications on traffic congestion, traffic flow, the environmental impact that they are reducing. So yes, this is definitely in the heart of our, our thinking and acting. Yeah. So going back to the challenges faced by cities that you, you talked about, how do you, as Swaco, deliver the solutions that they want? And if you can't do it on your own, how do you collaborate with other companies, other providers, and dare I even say it, occasionally even competitors, to deliver the solution that the city needs? Very good point as well, uh, Paul. In, in this environment where you have such a complex surrounding and also complex challenges you address, it is not our intention to solve this solely on our own. You need to cooperate with other companies and you, one of the elements is also cooperation with competitors, selective uh, cooperation, I would uh, call it co-opetition with strong industry players that you're working with. But it is not only that cooperation on this level. You need to cooperate also on other levels. Another level would be cooperation with startups. Startups are knocking on the doors of cities on a daily basis or several times a day. 
And you need to include them because some of those solutions are really brilliant. And this is what our industry also needs to embrace instead of trying to build walls around and making it more difficult for those startup companies to get in. We need to think about how are we using this disruptive technology to make mobility better. And the third element on cooperation I would like to state is the cooperation with the end user, the traveler, the citizen. We need to include them more into a modern mobility management loop, basically closing the loop. And there I think of a concept like nudging away the traveler towards a sustainable mode of transport pre-trip and also during the trip. So meaning if the road network is occupied, is reaching its maximum limit, you start before he is starting the trip already to nudge the traveler away, maybe to take an alternative mode of transport. That's really interesting because it's one of those things that if you, for example, put into Google a journey and you say you want to travel by public transport one of the things the google planner won't do is suggest you drive to the station park your car and then get the train now that's something perhaps they don't do as much in america and on the west coast um, as we in europe do but again we're we're not thinking as the traveler would think which is a perfectly normal thing for us to do and so stepping back and actually asking what the person actually wants or rather what the person actually needs because to be honest you ask most people what they want from travel they want other people to get out of their cars Mm. but they want to stay in their own car (laughs) so it's looking at what the traveler needs and delivering it from their point of view using the tools that we as an industry have built up over decades Exactly right. And it is, as you say, you start with what is the traveler's need. And from that need, you have to think about what can I do as an industry player also to support that need. And that doesn't mean that he only stays within your ecosystem. That also means that different ecosystems need to collaborate to provide that mobility as a service solution in the best way. And we see ourselves as, a, as one of the enablers for mass solutions. Michael Shush, CEO of Swaco, talking so much sense, and we'll hear more from him in a moment after we have the latest partner news, which I bring you this week. Highways Voices, with the latest news and events from our partner organisations, ITS UK, Elkrig, Adept, and the Transport Technology Forum. Adept has thrown its weight behind Active Travel England having a powerful role in the spatial planning system. In its response to a recent consultation, Adept sets out its support for the new body having a similar role in planning as national highways. Among its recommendations, Adept says Active Travel England should develop proactive guidance for developers and be a statutory consultee for design codes and any proposals for new public buildings such as schools and hospitals, as well as sport and concert venues. Active Travel England was established by the government to champion active travel. Adept response to the consultation on active travel's role in the spatial planning system can be found on the ADEPT website. On the Highways News website you can read about this summer's new Elkrig Innovation Festival which will be the first of its kind for the highways sector. Several local authorities have already committed to making their road networks available for trials along with funding for qualifying 
innovators who participate in the event. The event will be held at the Newark Showground on the 6th and 7th of July, providing a flexible space for indoor and outdoor exhibitions, as well as space to demonstrate products on a test road environment. As I say, you'll find out more in a news story on our site. The Transport Technology Forum annual conference is now less than two weeks away and it's going to be a full house of around 200 delegates concentrating on boosting collaboration between government, local authorities and the private sector to solve the transport challenges facing transport as we move towards net zero. The Department of Transport's Chief Technology Advisor Sarah Sharples and Chris Boardman, Interim Active Travel Commissioner at Active Travel England, are keynote speakers at the event and Transport Minister Trudy Harrison has also been invited and will attend and speak if her diary allows. And finally, how's your poetry? Well, next week is National Limerick Day. So our partners at ITS UK are asking members to come up with their best transport-related five-liners. The winner will get £100 to donate to the charity of their choice, and the funnier and quirkier, the better. Enter at the usual ITS UK email address. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. Now back to our chat with new Swaco CEO Michael Shush, who I chatted to at Intertraffic in Amsterdam in March. Now, as well as having pretty much the biggest stand at the event, Swaco also sponsored the startup section there. So I asked Michael why he was so passionate about doing so. It is not always easy to cooperate with startup companies, but you need to embrace this disruptiveness that is coming from those startups and the, uh, the agility that they bring up and show you new ways of our industry that has been very slow moving in the past years. And, and we need to basically learn how to also collaborate with them, also need to learn what can we do to support them so that their business models, and sometimes it's, it's not a viable business model, but that it becomes a viable business model. What about international expansion? Because obviously as a global company, Swaco can move its products around easier than others. But if, you know, I, I talk to companies in the, in the UK that have very good products and very good customer bases in the UK, but are struggling to break into another market because they, they just don't have the, the knowledge, the connections and the people and, and the time to invest in it. So how are we in an event like Intertraffic with more than 800 exhibitors from around the world all in one place, how can we leverage the connections here as an industry to, uh, to, to allow companies with great ideas in one country and great solutions in one country actually then be able to expand quicker in order to help solve the mobility problems? I mean, our industry is very local. So you have to start thinking globally, what are those commonalities? But then you also have to, to be able to scale, but then you also have to be able to adapt to the local needs. There is no, no way around it. it. There's no easy way, I would say. You need to be present at the customer. You need to understand what the requirements are, what the circumstances are in this area. And then to modify maybe as little as, as absolutely necessary, your solution to this local market. But at the end of the day, you need to be present in that market, either directly or through the right partner. And if you feel your product is the right one for that market, find the right partner or step in and, and be present at the customer side. One thing that hasn't cropped up in 
more than 10 minutes of conversation, Michael, is something that maybe last time everyone was at Intertraffic, everyone was trying to deliver, which is autonomy. You know, autonomous vehicles, autonomous mobility, you know, whatever we, we choose to call it. It's still there, but we're not talking about it as much. Does that mean that actually it's falling off the agenda or it's just that we've gone past the shout about it and now the industry is quietly getting on with it in the background? I think, Paul, automated driving is not off the agenda. But I strongly believe, and that was my observation uh, now also the last year, that reality sets in now. Everyone was talking about level five fully automated vehicle several years ago. And what I already said a couple of years ago is, yes, this should be our vision and we should work towards that. But there are so many things that can be done towards that level five that can help save lives, uh, increase comfort in driving already today. And this is what I feel is a, it's about. It is about expanding that end-to-end solution deliveries through CCAM, so Connected Cooperative Mobility, and increasing that user experience and delivering those solutions towards problem statements of cities by using CCAM as a mean to engage directly with the car, with the traveler, in a direct link with less latency, with individual messages. And Swarco is definitely providing a full range of solutions in that field, starting with high-quality road markings that are the guardrails on the street, if you want to call it like this, that keep the car on the road. We provide roadside units up to the central system, but include CCAM in the solution offering. Finally, on that point, how does the industry that is delivering CCAM solutions in the future assist the infrastructure providers because there's another company I know that do road studs and they say they can do them connected but they don't want to invest in connectivity until they know exactly what they're going to be used for, what connectivity platform are going to be used, etc, etc, etc. How do we get that conversation going to ensure that each area of the industry is working together towards a common goal and aren't just going off and doing another example of VHS and Betamax or iOS and Windows, etc, etc, where you get completely different platforms that, that don't really talk to each other very well? This is the multi-million euro question that you're asking here. And I wish there is a clear answer to that. We have been showing, also this industry has been showing and demonstrating that we can demonstrate proof of concept of those CCAM solutions with connectivity, with communication and everything between vehicles and the infrastructure and, and vice versa. Now it's about the first deployments or, and the focus about the quality of the service and the scalability of the service. And there is really the question, who is investing that, uh, that money? What are the business cases that really make this a wheel that starts spinning? And there, it's not only an ITS industry issue, it's not only a public spending issue, it's only, not only a telecom issue or an OEM issue. There needs to be a collaboration among all those different disciplines and somebody that is moderating this communication in order to derive to a business case and at the end of the day also 
a financing concept how to get this started and uh, today I don't have an answer for that. You've had plenty of answers for other things, Michael. There has been so much to unpack in less than 20 minutes that we've been talking. Really great thought leadership from you, and I so appreciate you spending the time talking to us on Highways Voices. Thank you, Paul. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Right, that's almost it for today, but we can't go without tipping our hat to somebody or some people doing great things in the industry, and we do that in... Adrian's accolade. Adrian, who wins this week? Um, my accolade this week goes to the alternative energy company, Alpha 311. It has managed to be a part of the world's first roadside deployment of wind turbines, which will go ahead on... Telfin Lukin Council's network. The innovative vertical axis wind turbines will be mounted on street lighting on the A442 main carriageway, where they will harvest the airflow from passing vehicles. This follows the news that councils will no longer need planning permission to place the turbines on lighted columns on the network. The turbine itself turns in low wind speeds and can not only power the street lights, but will also produce surplus energy that Telfin Lukin Council can use for local amenities or sell to utility partners to generate secondary revenue funds. Installation begins later this year. Thanks, Adrian, and that's it for this Highways Voices. Thanks for listening, as always. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your colleagues about us, and we'll join you again next week. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 